my favorite story is a family wedding where I arrive and I've changed my name. I haven't seen anyone in like four years and suddenly everyone is calling me by the right name. I haven't said this to anyone. Everyone's calling me by the right name. No one's misgendering me. Everybody's acting proper. And what I find out is that I went to a wedding and I celebrated this wedding, but my mother went to this wedding and did work and did work with my aunt and had my aunt to do work. So basically in the background, they are making sure that no one makes me uncomfortable, right? And I think I appreciate that. I genuinely, genuinely, I think my relationship with my mother has been, this person is the biggest advocate of who I am in the world. Hello, spreaders, and welcome to The Spread. I'm your host, Kaz, and this is season four. Dear Spreader, I needed to take a break. I was feeling very overwhelmed by so many things these past few weeks and was really finding it hard to get any work done. I mean, this has definitely been a better week and I'm grateful for the newness of it all. But on a mental health note, for anyone out there who's struggling um, to do just really basic, simple things... I think my advice to you is just do what you need to do to get by. And if that means just getting out of bed and showering on one day, like let that be the let that be the thing, let that be the goal. And if you can slowly, slowly build yourself up to spaces where you're able to create like a new kind of normalcy. And yes, definitely some weeks are gonna be harder than others, some months for some people, some days for others. But create something that works for you and find like a source of joy in each day even if that's uh tiktok for example because there's no rule book in this uh time of quarantine i'm just sharing with you some of the things that have worked for me or continue to work for me it is up and down but i'm here today and we have a podcast episode and that's all that matters on today's podcast episode we are jumping into more queer conversations with jerry and akani a beautiful queer couple currently spending their quarantine days in nairobi we learn a little about their families what being queer trans and coming out means to both of them this episode is full of laughs love and you can tell by how they giggle at each other and a lot of introspection please be sure to keep your ears and eyes on our social media pages we're at the spread pod across the board to learn more about the date for our podcast listening party enjoy this episode to find a deep meaning it could be the simplest crime or maybe a soul is Jerry and Akani, thank you guys so much for being a part of the Spread podcast. Um, Jerry, I want to start with you. First of all, I want you to tell the people why it's taken you so long to be on the Spread podcast and what I had to do to get you here. <laughs> why must you be like this? Why? People need to know the truth. People just need to know. Tell them. This is a truth that I will speak till my dying breath. That me, babe, me, I've always been willing to come on the show. I've always been willing to come on the podcast, but like our time, you know, like your timing is just, it's, it's off, right? It's you who's a, who's a globetrotter and is constantly gallivanting. And even when you're in Nairobi, 
even when you're in Kenya, you're not in Nairobi. It's just like, gosh. Yeah. Because there's like, places in this still. country. <laughs> Facts. Now, okay, the universe decided that my wings are clipped and now here I am. So um, I'm happy. But then also I, I really wanted to be known that we're only doing this podcast because you promised us chapatis, which we haven't you know had. That, you see? You haven't sent us the... pictures of, which you haven't asked Look. us for, your, for our address. Look. So they're obviously not on the way and we need to discuss. Look, Look here, Missy. I'm not even going to continue this until I send you this image because I made these chapos <laughs> yesterday. You did? Last night. I did, yeah. I'm actually going to send them to you today. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're, they're your chapos. I've sent them by WhatsApp. Just look at your WhatsApp. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Can we continue now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that there's evidence. Before we go on, um, I don't want to misgender um, you. So could you please tell me what your pronouns are? Oh, my pronoun is she, not hers. Okay. Um, my pronouns are they, them. Okay, got it. Um, Akani, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What gets your wheels turning? I don't know why people ever ask that question. <laughs> like, like what you do? Tell me about yourself. Um, I am... Like what's your elevator pitch? <laughs> well, I am a non-binary, agender, femme-identifying, masculine-presenting <laughs> human. Um, <laughs> that somehow found themselves as Jerry's entourage, even though I am the better half. So, ah. <laughs> and I live in South Africa and I work with queer kids, specifically trans kids. When you say kids, like what are the ages of these kids? Um, 19 and under. Oh, what's the name of the organization? If you don't mind my asking. It's called Matimba. Um, we currently create safe spaces and support groups for trans youth, but also for their parents separately. Um, also because access to minors requires the parents to be part of that conversation. Um, and we do mainly research around because Africa lacks research on trans individuals, but mostly trans kids. Like there's, there's basically no data. And so we're trying to create a body of work around that. So, and Jerry, I live and work in, I live in Nairobi, work in Kenya as a whole. I work for an organization that's called the National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission. And we do legal work towards equality in this country. So basically a lot of litigation, a lot of direct representation, um, a bit of like um, production of knowledge and a whole lot of advocacy, you know, towards reaching our aims. That's super cool. And I mean, I've been um, a huge supporter of Nickelhack for, um, yes, for a long time. I love, I love everything that you guys stand for. Actually a question, I get a lot of people who ask me um, questions about like, where do we go? Who can we talk to? And, and those those kind of questions. And I'm always leading people towards Nigel Hack and like just reach out to them on their social media page. 
Um, maybe this is a question that I'd be able to answer for people. It's a blanket. But do you do a lot of pro bono work? Are you able to help people that are looking for justice, for example? Yeah. Um, all of our work is pro bono. So we, um, we sort of fundraise so that we're able to give free service. Um, okay. And um, you're correct. We are happy to, to have people reach out to us on the social media, on our website, on, um, we have a number of helplines, which I'll, I'll send you the numbers to. Um, yes, please, to, all to, to put in the description box. Um, and there are absolutely no charges, so long as the issue that um, you'd want us to work on has to do with a person's sexual orientation or gender identity, and we can use the law to um, redress it. And what made you decide that this was your life's calling? You know there's two versions of this story. <laughs> I want to hear them both, and then I'm going to decide which one I edit out. <laughs> <laughs> So on days when I've well spoken, I talk about like, you know, the need for activism and blah, 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 and whatever. But I think ultimately I ended up here because I'm queer, like I'm a lesbian, right? Um, and at some point in my life, I started working um, with refugees that were LGBTIQ. And I think it was a point like, it was a point of realization that, that people were actually being forced to leave their homes because of who they were. And like, they were coming to Kenya, which had absolutely, like, it felt for me like there were absolutely no protections for them here. So I'm just like, why would you come here, right? But then like recognizing that if nothing was done, that would be us very soon, right? Like it would be Kenyans going to other places and um, having to leave their homes and seek refuge. Um, because of, you know, who they were. So I guess, and then I was like, I was really lucky that at the same time I was working with the other co-founder for the organization. And like, we would have all of these conversations about, you know, what, like, what does a future look like for people like us? And like, what's our role in this? And I think that's kind of where the motivation to do the work, like to begin the, to like, to begin the organization's work. Um, kind of came from. Um, yeah, I think that's like the official, sort of non-official story. I think also because mm -hmm. me, I really like the company of queers. Like, so I was trying to figure out where I situate myself um, among my, like, and find my tribe. And it happened mm -hmm. that activism was like, was, was that answer that I, I was able like to sit and have like really deep and profound conversations with people without having to explain why or having to like, sort of do that Kasudo in introduction that you end up having to do, you know, and without fear of judgment, but like without that thing of trying to explain a situation to someone who's not lived it, right? And and so I think then then like, so I, I ended up knowing that, that that's where I'll always be rooted, like in all of the things that I'm possibly going to do in this world if we, uh, if we survive this. Right. If we um, get out of here alive. <laughs> yeah. There's there's always going to be a part of me that's um um inherently situated within activism, queer activism. And speaking about uncomfortable and uncomfortable situations and having to explain yourself, what has that what kind of a journey has that been like for you? 
and I'm imagining with, for example, family and having to explain your work and what you do or uh, your relationships or your sexuality, like what kind of a journey has that been like for you? Um, so it's like, it's, it's not been as dramatic as like I thought it might end up being. Um, I think once, once I came out to myself, right, it was very easy for me to be like, upfront but then also like it didn't it didn't feel like I needed to perform at least with like with my like with my cousins and like people like with the younger people in my family right like so it felt like I could always introduce them to the person that I was dating or like I could always say the things that I you know I thought or I felt I think the the, the dramatic bit happens when I think five years ago or six years ago when I appear on television and I'm speaking about um, the work that I do and basically, and this is like primetime news in Kenya, like 9 p.m. You know, mm. I can't remember whether it was like it was Citizen or something, like some channel. that The one watch. that everybody watches. Family members <laughs> watch. Um, so obviously like it became a whole situation. One, because everyone was calling my mom and was like, uh, your child is busy advertising uh, ungodliness on TV. Number one. Um, so, so there was like a whole situation. But then also because my mama, my mom and I had never had like that coming out story or coming out conversation. So the romanticized like uh, Western version. There was nothing. I was like, like, mom, there's something I need to tell you. Nope. So there was never that. But then also, like, and, and my excuse has always been that my mom and I also had never had a conversation about me dating anyone at all. Mm. Like, we've never had a conversation. Like, my mom is not the kind of mom that you go and tell her, oh, mom, I think I like somebody. No, fam. Like, <laughs> go to church. Shut up and go to church. Or no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but then, yeah, so it kind of created that situation where we actually had to sit down and talk. And um, I remember, like, we, we met in town, like, on Moy Avenue, like, there was a restaurant opposite uh, Galitos. And we sat down, and she was like, okay, I hear you on TV. I'm like, yeah, I was. And she's like, okay, so what happened? Like, why were you on TV? And I was telling her, oh, no, you know, I was talking about my work, blah, blah, blah. Then at some point, she's just, like, still this bullshitting. And then she's like... That work, you are you one of those people? I'm like, which people mm. are we talking about? Um, anyway, but we ended up ha having a conversation like about why I do the work that I do specifically, why I do queer work. And I think, so my thing going in had been like, if she doesn't ask, I'm not going to tell her, right? But she did, she was like, but then, but so I hear that, that you're doing this work, but why? And I was like, because I'm queer mom, like, because this is like, I'm working with people who are like me and for, and for people who are like me. And she just, I think she started crying that day and didn't stop for like two weeks. It was a whole entire mess. Um, we prayed, we talked, we consulted. Um, the other half of this conversation went to Mombasa and got drunk and become, became stupid. But in the end, like, so there was a lot of things happening, but like in the end, it was like, so she called and said, you know, like I prayed, I've talked to my pastor, I've talked to my friends, like, and, and I think the thing that's 
coming through for me at this point is that you're my child and I love you and like you know I just I want you to be happy and I know that oh, I want you to wow. um um to some extent opposes the government and I need you to be very careful because like you know what happened so like it so it was it was amazing to me that it shifted from a conversation of like extreme dis- discomfort where she learns that her child is queer and she has to deal with that quite publicly because like she was it was not just her dealing with it it was like building questions from her family members and her church group and her pastors and all of this and like the end bits of it uh, being her worrying about like my safety you know and like yeah. and after that it's it's been like honestly like it's been amazing like so i talk to her a lot about my work um um she she like like i think with like a lot of parents her age she's always watching the news so she'll 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 call and say you know i i saw someone saying bad things about you and your people so you need to get like those those things that like that like you know that make me feel like oh like oh so i so this is like it, it feels like a really beautiful way in which you you were actually able to form a relationship with your mother like at this point yeah. Whereas prior to that, they hadn't really been that much that intimacy between the two of you. I think, I think it began like a chapter where, where like where, where I feel like there's no fear about being absolutely honest. Like I like I don't, I don't worry about her judgment. Like like I don't worry that she's going to judge me. I worry about other things. Like I'm just like, how is she going to deal with thing A, or how she's is she going to understand thing B? But like I never worry that she's going to judge me or that she's mm. going to be upset about like you know like it's 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 a weird it's a weird space to be to be willing and to be able to be absolutely honest with your parents because i don't i don't think that that's the design of things right even how we're raised mm. i don't think that we're raised to question and to want to find the absolute truth about who our parents are and for them to find the absolute truth about who their children are mm. yeah that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. That's that's intimate. Um, Akani, if you don't mind my asking, <laughs> you're like, oh God, is it my turn now? Um, could you talk us through what your relationship with your parents was like growing up? If that's in existence. So my story is not as romantic as Jerry. So, um, I don't know, so my parents, um, so my parents split up when I was nine, and I'd, I have a, I have a very on and off relationship with my father, um, but I adore my mother, I think I live and breathe because she exists, and um, so I guess my so I have the romanticized coming out story of sitting down and saying to my mind, this oh, is- Oh, pray tell. I'm about to play the violin. <laughs> um, but I also understand like, um, I guess growing up in like post-apartheid South Africa where queerness is decriminalized. And so I have the privilege of having that as a conversation, right? Um, and so, um, I came out a number of times, um, 
my mother's biggest joke is that I could come out as anything right now and she wouldn't be shifted because we've had to do this over and over again. And um, so my mother is, my mother's father is a priest. Mm. And so I come out and my mother falls apart for a few hours and I decide to go to sleep because I'm like, I, I don't know how to participate in this, in this thing. Um, and she wakes me up and so I was listening to Jerry tell you her story and I feel like the words are very similar, right? So my mother looks at me and says, you're my child and I love you, right? Because what she, un she understood what she wanted me to understand is that she's there to love me, right? And um, at some point we have to consult her pastor on this whole situation. So, which becomes really messy for me because I'm like, what if, what if this nigga's like, do not love your child? How do we move out of this room, right? And he looks at her and says, um, parents are there to make sure their children are happy. And if this is the happiest version of your child, then you're doing well. So I think we move from that place, right? Like my mother, my mother does love work with this organization that I run where she has conversations with other parents that are struggling with their child, basically to say, your child will be okay. Like, this is my child, and I struggled, but they're okay, right? Um, she does a lot of, I believe it's background work, right? Because the thing with being trans and transitioning is that one day you walk into a family gathering and you look totally different. And um, my favorite story is a family wedding where I arrive and I've changed my name. I haven't seen anyone in like four years, and suddenly everyone is calling me by the right name. I haven't said this to anyone. Everyone's calling me by the right name. No one's misgendering me. Everybody's acting proper. And what I find out is that I went to a wedding and I celebrated this wedding, but my mother went to this wedding and did work and did work with my aunt and had my aunt do work. So basically in the background, they are making sure that no one makes me uncomfortable, right? And I think I appreciate that. I genuinely, genuinely, I think my relationship with my mother has been this person is the biggest advocate of who I am in the world. Um, she continuously celebrates the work that I do. She will call me and tell me she's proud of me. It's it's a very I think I was scared when I came out, um, but there's no one who affirms me as much in the world. That is romantic. I've got a tear in my left eye. That's beautiful. Because Jerry does not cry. So like, please do not edit out this part. Jerry <laughs> has no tears in her life. She's about to hit me with something. <laughs> <laughs> so she's fake crying. Jerry! <laughs> what is it? Who hurt you? Why? <laughs> um... That's so powerful. I mean, for people to be able to have that relationship with an African parent is, <sighs> that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Actually, for both of you, because there's so many people who don't have those similar stories. There's so many people who are, who, who are ostracized from their families and their societies. There's so many pastors who are telling their mothers that the child needs to be disowned because they're Satanists because of their sexuality. So 
regardless of how different, you know, even just from for both of you coming from really different communities, but having that similarity that your mothers were like, you know what, whatever it is, I'm just going to love you because you're my child. Like my purpose in this life is to love you. And so however it is that you present yourself, I'm going to love you. And I think that's really beautiful. And not many people have similar stories like that. So, wow, that's really great. Um, Akani, for people who didn't, who don't know that you're trans, what was, you, you did say there's many ways that you came out. What were, what were your, what was your transition from the first time that you came out and how did individually those things happen? Um, I think at a very young age, I came out as lesbian. Um, I was also the family rebel, so like. I'm the child that wants to push, right? So I'm not, I'm, I'm not fully sure if like the thing was like, I'm coming out for effect, or <laughs> I'm coming out because it is necessary in this moment. And um, so I come out as lesbian, which then shifts to no, I come out as bi, which then shifts to me coming out as lesbian, which then shifts to me coming out as a trans man, which then shifts to me coming out as non-binary. And my final coming out, which was um, weird and uncomfortable, um, me and my mother were walking in a mall and a really good looking man walks past me. And I'm like, hmm. And my mother's like, what just happened? Right? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, he's, he's cute, man. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, would you date men? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what do you mean? So you transitioned and you can like, so like for her, the maths does not make sense, right? And now I have to go, oh no, so like I'm pansexual. And she's like, what the fuck is that? And we have to do that work. Um, so I think I am like a culmination of like many coming outs, but also I think they're very symbolic of how, um, people continue to find themselves in life, right? Because at every point when I came out, I was dead sure that this is it, right? And, but I think I'm at a point where like, I'm not the same way nothing would shock her, nothing would really shock me about like, about how fluid sexual orientation is or how fluid gender is, right? It's, I think it's continuous work, it's continuous learning, but also it's the space of where you find when you become more comfortable within yourself, you're willing to explore other things. Yeah. Maybe I can I can also just get a response from either of you is a lot of people ask me what non-binary is. And some I don't think I've really delved into it in a podcast, but it's a conversation that I really want to tackle more now. And when people do ask you what is the response or... What is gender non-conforming? What is non-binary? What is that? What does that mean? What What do you mean? Jerry, tell me, tell us. What are these? Things? Ah, me, me, and very binary. Man, speak your truth. I continuously don't believe that gender non-conforming actually is trans, right? Because I believe that gender non-conforming could be put in any criteria that says you do not conform to gender roles, right? Of that specific context. So lesbian women do not 
conform to gender roles in particular ways, right? Like masculine, and they're not they're not trans, they're they're masculine women. So I tend to kind of stray away from that word. Um, but like non-binary for me is like first it's an umbrella term. The dictionary thing is like it's an umbrella term and it umbrellas a lot of genders that do not fall within the binary that um, society prescribes, which is either you are woman or man. Um, I identify as non-binary agender because A, I don't believe in gender. I don't think, I don't understand the concept. I feel like there's nothing for me that has been more restricting than the idea of gender, right? Because it has always required me to perform A or B. And even when you are non-binary and you're gender fluid, you're still required to kind of perform A or B and shifting between the two. Or as soon as you have anything that is like equated to gender, somehow you will always play something within these binaries, right? And so I think there was a lot of me that, I think coming out as, as a trans man made sense because what I knew in that space was that I wasn't a woman. And the language I have is everything that is not this has to be that, right? And I struggled, like I struggled. I had two years of me identifying as a man and I struggled because nothing about me could like tick these boxes, these man boxes, like manning. I always, like I, I joke around and I go like, I'm failing to man, like manning is such a difficult thing, right? Mm. And um, so what I understood is that I was none of these things. And um, so I think, I think gender for me does not make sense. I don't think it will ever make sense. Um, I'm not ruling, out, ruling it out entirely because I do believe that people change and shift and um, learn more. But I think for the last four or five years of my life, gender has not been something that kind of restricts me from doing anything. If I feel like doing it, I'm gonna do it. If it makes sense to my soul, it is something that I'm supposed to be part of. Do you at any point during transitioning from one space to another have any guilt associated with that? I'm stuck with my idea of transitioning from one space to the other, but um, mainly because I don't believe transitioning is ever really from anything to anything. I think um, it is an acceptance, right? because um, we characterize transitioning as medical transitioning. Mm. Um, but I think the day someone says to themselves, I am not, and knows that they are not a thing, they have shifted, it's done, right? And everything else is um, beyond that. But what's your question? Um, do I feel guilt? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's guilt. I think it's, I think it's trauma, right? I think it's not being, so as, as a non-man, I'm not allowed in men's spaces, but as a non-woman, I'm not allowed in women's spaces, right? And I am, I pass very well as a cis man, right? Um, and so there's a, there's a losing of community, right? I think the one thing queerness teaches you is how community is so important, right? So like 
lesbians were my community. They were my people. We hung out. And now I'm the weirdo in the room with the beard who needs to excuse them because they need to have women's conversations, right? So it's like, I was one of you. Or like, I think also, um, I've also thought around like, as a masculine presenting woman, when lesbians run into each other in town, they're kind of like, there's a, there's a camaraderie. There's a looking at you, looking at me. When I now look at masculine present, I just look like a creep, right? Mm. <laughs> because I'm just this guy that's like looking. Mm. So like, there's, okay. a, there's a shift of like something that made you safe, but now you feel like you do not, you do not belong, right? You mm-hmm. do not, um, there isn't a space where, because when you're invited into conversations, it's like women and non-binary people. And when you show up, to women and non-binary people and you look like me, people do not feel safe, right? So now you have to out yourself in order to be part of that conversation. Like there's there's so much work and like, so I feel like there's a there's a loss in a morning and a, and like dealing with my, like my truth requires me to lose community. Thank you for sharing that. Your friends fake crying again, like, wow. <laughs> Jenny, how did you guys meet? Oh, this creep. Ooh, it's about to go down. Um, I think we, so. We met because I think this is the first, like, the first meeting we like was I think a Skype call that I was having with a friend and a colleague it's just weird like so i so i was coordinating a conference um, <laughs> jerry hello so i was coordinating the pan african ilga conference and jerry was one and um coordination was gently a mess um we weren't getting visas for people like there was like we were having a lot of problems but now we had to get to a point where we're calling you and we're saying to you, you will have your ticket. We don't have it right now as we speak to you. We might need you to go to the airport without a ticket, right? And we'll send it to you. So um, we have a mutual friend who I was working with, calls Jerry. And Jerry is like the loudest human in the world. I think everybody knows this. And so... <laughs> Like, I am just in the room busy typing. Like, this is like my default of everything is I'm just always like typing. So I'm busy typing and this person is like screaming and they're having this conversation. And I'm like, I really want to see this person, <laughs> right? And finally, my friend is like, oh, say hi to Jerry. And I was like, oh, hi. Hi. Uh, how, how are you? Then it became all awkward. What's your recollection of the story? <laughs> So they immediately go and find my socials and follow mm-hmm. me and begin and there they begin the stalkeration. No. <laughs> How long ago was this? How long ago was the phone call? This was 2018. May. So the conference was May, so I think it was probably April. But like, so that's not how it happens. So this is how this is this is like the first time I actually flirted with Jerry. So I am now tasked to call Jerry and tell her to go to the airport with no tickets, right? 
So wow. I'm like, hey, um, and I don't know this person from a bar, so like everyone else on this team knows this person, but I'm the, so I'm just like, hi, um, I need you to go to the airport. Your flight is at this time. I don't have your ticket, but I'll send your ticket. And I think Jerry was, was at a play. You had a play. Busy out there hoeing <laughs> as usual, right? On dates. Living her best hoe life. And I'm just like, hello, like, can you go to the, and she's like, for what? I don't have a ticket. I'm like, like, you'll have your ticket, go to the airport. And she's like, yeah, this is like, she hadn't even packed. So she has to come home and pack. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll make it up to you. And she's like, you owe me a drink. And I'm like, yeah, sure, definitely. I owe you, like, I'm, I'm here for this drink, right? Because me, I was genuinely trying to get this drink. Right, this one. Uh, but so you have to finish this story because, like you've said it in your way. You can't, you can't leave me on a cliffhanger. <laughs> so she flies into Botswana. She arrives um, five minutes after. So I go, I go meet them at like at the hotel where they're staying. Five minutes after she arrives, the first thing is like, she says to me, "Where's the liquor store?" And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, don't worry. I saw one on my way in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, oh, okay. Please bring me a gin and tonic. So I, I hand her, no, please bring me gin and I hand her money. So my plan is that she's going to get gin and we're going to have a drink. She goes, she gets the gins. Um, I go to her room to go get the gin. All excited, all nervous. Okay, here I am. I get there, I knock on the door. Um, she opens the door. She says to her friend Yvonne, um, please pass me that bottle of gin. Literally, she hardly opened the door. It was like this open, and she just hands me the gin. Uh, I had to walk away with my gin. Uh, and <laughs> my disappointment. Uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't even drink the gin the whole conference. Like, I had no interest in the gin. <laughs> my interest was, but like, I was like, oh, okay. I've been, I've, been sh- I've been shut down. This is, this is <laughs> Jerry, what's your version? I wouldn't tell it that way, but um, yeah. So anyway, we become friends um, online. And then also we have like mutual friends. Um, and like, like this nigga is consistently on my DMs, just telling me like nonsense stories. Like, oh, I need to pick your brain on something. There's nothing. Oh, like, I don't like the just telling, oh, so I once posted and said, um, all I need is like a partner to help me zip up my dresses because like I live alone and one day it took me like an hour waiting for my house help to come and help me zip up my dress, like something like that. And then they were like, oh my God, so take me, where should I send my people? We're ready for the rush. Like it was just like, a lot of like very weird nonsense. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think so. We end up like we didn't even have like a first date. Like we end up hanging out together with a mutual friend of ours um, when I'm in Joburg the next time, and we I guess talk a lot. Um, I think it was like from from the start it was that we. I enjoyed your company. I don't know about you. Well, I know you did, but like, I can only speak for myself. I enjoyed their company. Um, and like, there was like, I, I don't know, for some reason, there was a lot that we could talk about. 
Um, and after that trip, we were consistently on the phone, like we would have like six hour phone calls and we weren't even dating, um, which is a subject of contestation to this day because we have very different dates of when, like when we got into a relationship. Um, but like, I think it was easy. Like it was easy falling in love with them. Um, it was easy, like get, like it was easy getting together because I don't know, like they were, they were comfortable and safe and gentle and kind and you know, I'm a sucker for this, for those things. Uh, I was saying I'm really bad and scary and like bad and bougie. I don't know, the, like the soft thing is bad for my reputation. Like <laughs> it's bad for your street cred. The street cred, like how the honey's gonna look at me now, hmm? honey? <laughs> how am I supposed to? <laughs> I mean, by the time you're using the the word honeys, I think it's time to get off the street. <laughs> And today's podcast of the week is Legally Clueless. Legally Clueless is a weekly podcast by Kenyan media personality and social activist Adele Onyango. Here, she documents her raw human journey as an evolving, unapologetically African woman. The podcast is a space where people get to know just how okay it is to not know and to not have it all figured out. It's also a space where Africans share stories from their lives and stories that teach, that make us cry, that make us laugh, like real, authentic African stories. The Legally Clueless hotline is plus 254-768-628-790. And of course, we have added a link to the direct podcast in our show notes below. Please be sure to check them out and of course, leave them a review. And let's just keep those black people of color podcasts at the top of the network. You know what I mean? Back to our podcast episode. So what has it been like navigating this relationship and maybe other previous relationships? Like what has it been like societally or, you know, publicly? I think the biggest difference in like a public navigation of relationship um, mm-hmm. is that when the two of us are together, we sort of pass. I say sort of because like, I think separately we're both very queer looking, but like when we're when we're together, like we confuse the fuck out of people, which is like which is kind of nice. But like so, I think how like how it shows up for me is that my like generally my interaction with Nairobi mostly um, is 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 like. Like there's a mental map that I have where the topography only consists of places that I know are safe for me and for people like me, and particularly me with a partner, right? And usually because I have previously largely dated women, it's like an interaction with spaces that I know would be safe for me to be with a partner, like who's, 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 um, who's a woman, but then also to be affectionate with them because also like, I'm, I think I'm 
quite loudly affectionate. Um, so like that's what my layout of Nairobi looks. So pre pre Corona, I think it was weird for like it was interesting for me to like do this, like do those things, but then with Akani because it was like oh shit, I actually don't need to look around, right? Like I also actually like don't need to like sort of try and map out the safe people because like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like this is if this is Tomboya Street and I made out with them like we probably would be okay right mm-hmm. which would not mm-hmm. be the same situation for other people that I've dated previously so I think that's like that's like one like one major difference like within the public sphere but then I think also and I and I like I, I think I, I, another thing that I didn't consider is that my my public performance of affection or relationship shipping has been a thing that created safety for other queers who didn't necessarily know me, but who like I ended up sharing spaces with, and like I like I I think at some point I begin to understand that I like I don't do that like like this relationship doesn't necessarily do that right like so we'll be hanging about at the table and probably people will feel safe. And then we make out and then like, there's a, like, even the queens are like, um, mm-hmm. okay. So like, is this a safe table or not? Like, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's weird, but it's interesting to sort of like exist in that space. Um, but like outside of that, like, it's like, it's a relationship is that like the ups and downs and like the fights and like the really good times. Um, so I don't think that like there's anything that's like specifically, you know, very alien to like what's regular for people being in love and like sharing their life together. You said a map of Nairobi of spaces where you can feel safe. Could you tell me a few of those places to help all of the people who are looking for places where they can feel safe? Ah. Now you know people will know how ratchet I am. <laughs> tell us, tell us. <laughs> so their favorite restaurants. What's your favorite restaurant? Yes. Honey and Dove. <laughs> Ooh, I love that place too. <laughs> yeah, so that's their favorite restaurant. I think um, we spent a bit of time at like at the Alchemist. Um, we used to go to the flea market like those those days. Um, yeah. K1. Uh, yeah. Flea market is like K1. Um, where are the, where are the other places that we go? I guess events that are organized organized by queer organizations are always safe safe places to go to. Like the brunch that Nickel Hack did. Uh, there's a bar down the road. Um, it's called Pinotage. Um, where? But- <laughs> it's so it's safest during the week because it has the cutest barman, the cutest, cutest, most amazing barman that is genuinely willing to protect anybody. Yeah. Oh, bless his soul. His name is so he's a really nice. And he, he's there Monday to Friday. So, yeah. yeah. And then after when he's not there, you don't go. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be those days or no days. Wow. Oh, yeah. And I used to go like that. Like, I've stopped now, but I used to go to LB quite a lot. Like, uh, the bar on Tomboya Street. It used to be mm-hmm. like my, my soul place. Like, I think the six years of my life, 
where I went there every Friday that I was in town, I went there. Um, mm-hmm. But not so much anymore. But then also, so we, so I love to travel and I, and I think they, they, they have the travel back these days as well. So we, we take a lot of trips and like, it's, it's really nice to find like places. So I think there's a lot of acceptance actually, like out in places outside of Nairobi. Um, one, like one I have to recognize that these are places that you're playing, you're paying money to be at anyway. So mm. they best be like good and kind to you. But then yeah. it's been interesting, like to travel with friends and my, my friends are so queer, like, like so visible mm. queer, right? And like, so to travel is like in groups, but then also find places of acceptance and kindness and like places in which we feel safe that that has been like that that has been amazing right so there's a there's yeah. a bunch of places i think i've put them up on my instagram before and i keep putting them up like just depending on places that i've, I've been to and how i feel about those places so i'm happy to give yeah and absolutely I, I would love that and also just for anybody who's listening um your instagram handle is at makodofia which i'm going to tag in the description box below um and makodofia means avocado. avocado yes which i, <laughs> I absolutely love avocado i might send you an avocado with those chapos yes yes do it <laughs> um you know with regards to traveling my same-sex partners, well, on, on separate occasions, have been to, like, hotel rooms where at the lobby they ask you if you want separate beds in your room. And then when you say no, they're just like, um, but, you know, there's just, like, that awkwardness. Like, but are you sure? Like, we can't. Almost like we're inconveniencing them. Like, we can separate your beds if you want. Like, no. <laughs> we would like one bed. Thank you. So there's there's always that like like I hope we're gonna be okay. I hope they're not then going to go and call the the village idiots to come and raid our room or you know what I mean. Yeah. I think one of the tricks that I know is that and I've I've, I've told people to, to ask for is just tell them that you want large beds, right? So when they say mm. that they're, they're like whether you want um one big bed, so ask them if the room they have can can fit two kings. And if it's not, give us one king, right? Because then you mm. make it like a logistical issue for them, and it's not an issue okay. for you, right? Yeah. Um, so you can you can, I, I I think there's like there's clever ways of trying to figure them out. The thing is that like I think, and this is a larger assumption on my part, but I, I think that queer people navigate navigating the world like sort of have to for their own protection have to develop a sort of sixth sense sixth sense of like what's safe and people who are safe for them so i think there's places that you walk into and they ask you whether you want one large bed or like two and you're like one large and you know that you're going to be okay but then there are others Mm. where you walk in and you're like okay this is going to be a problem and maybe let's try to be smart this way or you know yeah so i think there's, there's ways of figuring that out but also the other thing is that queers are always happy to give recommendations. People who travel are always happy to give recommendations of like, oh, this place has been let up on here and, and they're safe, right? Um, so yeah. if, if, if people would want to ask around, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll get answers for, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. I'm so sure that so many people are going to appreciate that information. 
I'm going to ask you one last question just to kind of wrap up. But the one question is three parts. It's for both of you. So don't, don't, don't even, don't even, don't even play that way. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced? One, in your personal lives. Two, in your, in the work that you do because you're both activists. And three, as a couple. So whoever wants to answer first. <laughs> that I face in this personal life. Wow. Um, and I think my one feeds into number three, right? Um, so I so I suffer from like I don't suffer, I live with <laughs> um, a number of mental health issues, right? Um, and they play out very differently in different spaces. Um, I was more anxious about me and Jerry being together than Jerry was ever anxious. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you're a lesbian. And then the world is going to see you with me. And Jerry was like, oh, okay. Like, fam, go deal with yourself and come back, right? <laughs> but like, um, so I over, I, I overthink things. I, I, I feel guilty for getting depressed. I feel guilty for being anxious. I, and so that that kind of um, then feeds into our relationship, right? Because there's this person that is saying, bring all of you, and I'm willing to hold that space for you, right? But the world has continuously told me to be guilty about that, right? That like, um, also understanding that, I don't know, so this is, this, is, this is weird, but for me, it was like, I did not know, I knew Jerry was an activist, I didn't know Jerry was a, activist right until i dated her and then i was like oh my gosh like as if i was like a queer woman right the last thing i want to see is like this queer woman that i think is like an activist being with someone who passes right like i understand how how easy our relationship becomes so i i also suffer from a lot of guilt right from like a my passing privilege like i think I spend so much time fixated on like, I pass, therefore, and then Jerry says, everybody thinks you're just a gay boy. Which, which I don't, like, I, I feel like I'm big and buff and scary. Like people are thinking <laughs> I'm the man. But like, um, so I think I suffer from a lot of guilt and I think it is, it is inherent of like queerness, right? So like when, when you get to a point where you're comfortable with yourself, because we only know how to move as a community, right? That that guilt of my, my comfort is a guilt, which feeds into my mental health issues, right? Like, I'm mm. like, what, the fact that I get to pass in a mall is like, no, I don't want to pass. I want to be uncomfortable mm. because discomfort mm. is what we have always known, right? And so I think I battle with, especially in the last year, year two years of my life, though, like A, I pass, but also I'm with someone who says, you're not perfect. You're a goddamn mess and that's fine because perfection is also like, when you're queer in your relationship, you always want to be perfect. You want to be the perfect version because this person has cishet options. So you can't be a messy queer. You have to be a perfect queer, right? Because cishetness mm. must not seem easier. So I think that guilt and like, I, I go through a lot of that, um, 
and I think it feeds into our relationship. And sometimes, like, we have arguments, and I have to like move away and realize that this is a lot of me. I'm just bringing a lot of me to the space, and it it has nothing to do with um, what's actually happening in the world. Um, we're so used to suffering and being the 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 I guess the black sheep. I'm not sure how that's a bad thing, but like the black sheep um, within our families that when the world says it is okay or the world you have created says it's okay, you find ways to poke holes into it. Mm. Um, and I think professionally, I think I struggle to find my voice. Mm-hmm. And this is this is weird for me because like, I don't think it's something that queerness caters for, right? So like, as a person who is socialized as a cishet female, being silent and being kind and being a particular way is very important and i think like continuously in like organizing you're supposed to be loud and this is why this is this is this is this is the power that gay men have had over us right because they socialize to be loud right and mm. when i'm not loud it is like i'm not living up to my full potential i guess to people mm. right like then mm. you pass as it so do it but i'm not socialized mm. to do it right so like i think i struggle a lot with that and um and i think the answer is just like jay must make money so i can be a stay-at-home partner so <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to struggle. Like I'm, I'm a caregiver. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to cook and clean. Like mm. let's have babies. I'll change diapers. I'll do all the things. I'll wake up in the nights. Right? Mm. <laughs> you mm. just like I don't make that money because I don't know. I feel like the world is difficult as it is. Let's not add more struggles to it. And like if mm. if navigating the world with like cis men is so navigating the world with cis men is difficult for me a because they feel like mm. they have some sort of camaraderie and when i don't agree with their shit they're just like oh okay you're not good enough to be one of us therefore mm. right and that's when they misgender you they're very messy um and so i think i don't know i think that is the i'm not sure if that even makes sense but like <laughs> it's a no it doesn't even matter because it's such a vulnerable <laughs> moment so <laughs> Like, I really appreciate you just for saying that. So even the question can be thrown out the window. Um, yeah. Do you, do you affirm yourself on a regular basis to be kinder to yourself in those moments? The only reason Jerry's with me is because I'm good looking and funny. And, <laughs> and can cook and clean during times of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm blessed with um, with a family that affirms me. Um, I have two beautiful siblings that one of them thinks I am everything, and the other one thinks I am everything they could have been. So I'm not sure if <laughs> that, that's a thing. Uh, I have I have an amazing partner who's hella irritating, but like hella amazing. Um, I think my my mother affirms me, and I, and I have like really close friends that are just like you're everything, and I think that helps me um, affirm myself and see that even even in my worst moments, there are people in the world that are like, I will I will give everything for you, 
And I think that is, I think it's something as queer people we don't we don't do very often. Like we don't we don't look at the fact that we have friends that are willing to be on the front line for us, right? Mm. And and that is intense when someone is like, I'm willing to out myself and risk my life for you, right? Um, there's that is that is extremely intense, but it also it also speaks to the kind of people we are in the world that we have created friendships and um, I guess families, pseudo families that are like that. Mm. Thanks. Ooh. Any Jerry, any similarities to what they said? Um. Yeah. Um. I think I like unintentionally carry also the guilt of passing. I think the discomfort, I think it's not even like, I think there's like, like I'm, I'm very uncomfortable about like being able to pass. Um, one, because the, there's a guilt, that, the guilt that's carried, but, but two is that like my, I think my adult life, um, has like my adult, all of my adult life, I've, I've had to worry about um, safety and how I show up and the spaces in which I, I, I show up in and who's around me. And so it's very hard to like let go of that and then like realize actually I like, I don't need to do this work, like this work that like this prelim work that I'm doing of figuring out if a space is going to be safe or is going to be okay for us is unnecessary. And then realizing how everyone else who's like me doesn't have that, and, and I think I think it's weird. It's warped and it's messy, but like it's existing, and I and I think it's important for for me to keep like to keep remembering that, right? And that in the spaces that I can access now, in the ways that I can I can be seen now, I need to be very deliberate in continuing to make those spaces safe for people like me, right? Um, who don't necessarily have that privilege, so that's a that's a thing that I that I think one of us then have to carry and like struggle with. Um, but like challenges, relationship-wise, I think the distance is a big thing. Um, so we're I mean we're very we're very lucky and we're very privileged that we get to see each other. I think maybe this year almost every month um, mm -hmm. but and and I'm really grateful for that but but the, the truth is that like there's a four hour flight distance between us and several tens of thousands of Kenya shillings um, for our return mm -hmm. trip like so you know like so it's a it's a thing that we have to factor in we both have very like ridiculously busy lives uh, and like I think both of us have completely immersed our like our personal lives are like completely immersed and mixed up with our professional lives and it's a thing that we need to which sometimes is a good thing because then it allows us um the the, the, the freedom of travel and we can figure out like our travel schedules and stuff um but then also it means that they're up at 5 5 a.m when me i want to be cuddled and like they want to type things that I don't understand mm. or um, that we might be in the middle of a fight and 
there's a client that needs my attention and we have to pause the conversation mm. they're having because someone else needed needs attention like so those things are i guess like are things that we need to sort of deal with but i, I also don't think that they're unique to our relationship i think like all relationships have things that you have to navigate and negotiate so absolutely I'm kind of, yeah i'm kind of grateful for that yeah Aww, i think also this is cute the other thing is that that we so that if there's a beautiful space that like that i think we've unintentionally created within activism where we are able to um work with but support and like sort of like ideate around um cross-cutting issues and so then there's like there's deliberate work being done within a regional level which makes it useful that then we end up activisting around the same areas right uh, mm -hmm. and around the same spaces but then also that we get to carry our friends along right so we'll like we'll be doing conferences and i have like four of my friends and they have four of theirs like so like then we like so it becomes convenient that we're we're all together and we can form relationships and we can be like we can begin to interact with each other's tribes you know which is like a, yeah. an absolute privilege. And, and I, I don't know that if we didn't occupy the same, like if we didn't work in the same sector, sector that would, you know. If that would have been a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So those things. Okay, that's cool. My challenge within our relationship is that they're fucking vegan. Me, I love meat. Me, all I want to our friend here, we have to yeah. find tofu. Now I know where oh. tofu is got in Nairobi. Now I know that there's there's farm tofu. Now I know, like, I farm, like, I struggle. It's a struggle. Also, Jerry, follow my, my food page. OMG, what's happening in my mouth? It's vegan, oh, vegetarian, okay. like me. Okay. Yeah. But that's my main challenge. And that I can understand. Guilt me for not crying. Like they cry all the time, so they do it for the both of us. For so me, I don't understand. How to... Yes. Uh, a question. You were dragging me for not crying. And now you. Have you ever heard of anyone being dragged for being a crier? Like being being soft and emotional and tender and gentle in the world. And then I feel like they... I'm being dragged into something that I'm not supposed <laughs> to do. I feel like this is none of my business right here. I'm, I'm just like I'm just soft and gentle and tender and like. Oh, I thought you were big and strong and like gnarly. Big buff and scary. Please edit out. <laughs> oh, big buff and scary. Yeah, watch me edit that. Yeah, watch watch that happen. Me, I'm big buff and scary, but like sometimes you gotta cry. Like, <laughs> I see you. I see you. I see you. One last one, Jerry, and I'm sure you get asked this all the damn time. Repeal 162. What's popping? Huh? <laughs> Repeal 162. I'm sure people ask you all the time. Like, what's the next step? Um, Repeal 162. Oh my God. I haven't spoken about that before. I'm so happy. Uh, I'm so happy that I haven't. Like, um, so we are, <sighs> okay, we are in court, we um, are waiting for directions from the Court of Appeal, 
for our hearing date for repeal 162. We've already um, filed the memorandum of appeal. Um, so what's remaining is for the registrar to send word to us for a mention date or for them to already decide what the hearing date is. And then as soon as we have it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put it out there. So I think it's a, it's a game of wait, waiting. Um, we were hopeful that by mid this year, by May, June, we'd know the date and it would be around that time. But then with Corona and with the courts not really being in session, like who knows? So we're, I think it's just like now we're waiting. We're waiting um, and we're doing the other bits of work around litigation um, that do not necessarily have to do with um, what's happening in court. So we're preparing like communications, we're preparing um, and setting the stage for campaigns that are going to be running when we finally have a date for the hearing. Got it. Is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, um, so we run and and maybe my dream is to move it bigger than Southern, South Africa, right? Like we run support groups for trans youth um, currently online. And I think um, the marginalized organizations are disproportionately affected by um, the coronavirus, right? And mm. um, so trans youth are from across East Africa from across the continent are very welcome to join those spaces. Um, so we run them the first Saturday of every month. And basically if they, there will always be a poster on um, Matimba's Instagram page, which is Matimba underscore org. And they just need to RSVP because we also need to create a safe space so we need to back everybody who comes into the space of um, course. So anyone who wants a safe space that is trans that is under the age of 19 but optionally i think would be willing to move to like 25 in this particular situation um mm -hmm. as long as you're youth we're willing to have you in that space um it's fun it's creative it's just a whole lot of trans um, youth having conversations about a what they're struggling with in this time but also good conversations about what's good about staying at home and not having to be misgendered in the world mm. okay thank you guys so much i this podcast episode for me was actually a lot more than i thought it would be because I feel like those conversations were so deep and beautiful and healing almost like there was some element of catharticism, catharsis. I really appreciate you both <laughs> for allowing, allowing yourselves to, to be vulnerable in this space. And I, I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this podcast. So thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do hope you found some gems in this episode. As always, I want to hear from you. So please be sure to slide into the DMs on any of our social media platforms if there's anything you want to discuss regarding this or any other podcast episode. Our details are in the show notes below. Don't forget to leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcasts, actually, please just go ahead and click five stars 
stars. Leave us a review. This is how we stay at the top of the charts. Till next time. Goodbye. Secrets with you, cause with you I have no fear. Because my soul is ready and my heart is vacant. I want you to be with me every step.